You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Good uh, Tuesday morning to you on the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to any of our American friends uh, listening to us uh, today. We hope you get to celebrate no matter where you are. And yesterday on the programme, I had a text in from a listener, Dan, who was inquiring about the additional uh, GP, uh, the free GP visit uh, cards. And this was, we were talking yesterday on our citizens information uh, slot with uh, Anna O'Donovan and we were talking about medical cards and we were talking about GP cards. And that led Dan to say, remember last year in the budget, there was an announcement of extra GP visit cards. Has anything happened on that? So I checked straight away, went online to see if I could get any information for our Dan to discover that the legislation hasn't gone through yet. So I said, oh, I'll keep an eye on it. Lo and behold, yesterday afternoon I started to hear that we're getting very close to those extra GP visit cards being uh, introduced. And the papers this morning are talking about more than 78,000 children. Now, these are children aged six and seven. They are due to get their free GP visit cards and they'll get them in the coming weeks. What seemingly has been happening and part of the delay uh, as there has been uh, talks going on between the Irish Medical Organisation in recent days and the government, obviously. And that now has paved the way for what really is a long delayed rollout of these extra GP visit cards. The Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, is expected to announce the move today and that was following the finalisation of what turned into very, very lengthy discussions with the IMO, which will see substantial extra supports given to GP practices. Agreement has been reached on not just extending the free GP cards to the children, but it's also been agreed to extend it to around 430,000 other people. That's a huge, huge number of people who will now qualify through relaxation of the means tests for a GP visit card. The rollout will be done, though, on a phased basis. It'll begin with the six and uh, seven year olds and then the additional GP visit cards based on the means test will be done on a staged basis and it'll begin with those on the lowest income. So all the 430,000 people who will be in the coming months entitled to the GP card won't get it straight away. It will be done on a very much a phased uh, basis. And when the extension is complete, around a half a million more people will now have free access to uh, a GP. And the extension of the free GP care uh, to children aged six and seven That was announced in the budget for 2023 for this year, but the budget for 2023 was last October. And I remember within weeks of the budget hearing from parents who had children saying, when are we going to get our cards? And I was saying, oh, it'll be the start of the year, you know, because it was budget 2023. I thought it would be in for maybe February. Didn't think that here we are at the start of July and I'd be still only talking about it coming in in the next few weeks. And one of the main reasons was it was being held up because objections were coming in from GPs many of whom who have had to close their list to new patients. And again, I remember when the announcement was made, GPs came out and said, we were never, there was no discussions made with GPs 
in advance of the announcement of the statement and GPs were saying we're already battling as it is. How are we expected to start adding extra people to our lists or to start providing free GP uh, care? The GPs have described how the rise in the population and the increasing levels of chronic illnesses, they're all contributing to their surgery simply being overwhelmed at the moment. They say they couldn't cope with an influx of up to half a million patients becoming eligible for free visits. As what inevitably always happens, consultations, more more people decide to go to the doctor if they know they don't have to pay particularly when it comes to children. If you've got a child sick and you think, oh, I might be okay for a day or two, you know, I might go to the chemist and pick them up something. But if the option is free to take them to the doctor, we know we've seen that in the past. Inevitably, people will go to the doctor and it'll be the same for adults who will be entitled to a free GP uh, card. Many of them wouldn't have gone to the surgery because there would have been a cost involved. Suddenly, if they're free to go, they will go. Now, when the full extension is complete, They reckon over half the population will have access to free GP care, either through a medical card or the GP visit card. So the agreement with the IMO will now see GPs receive significant financial supports. And that's going to, we're told, help them to recruit extra staff, which they then say will help to meet the additional demand. Now, eligibility will extend to people who earn the median household income and direct the median household income is 46,000 euro or, yet or less. Now it'll obviously be adjusted for people living alone and it'll be adjusted for people who've got um, families, you know, it certainly would probably be higher if you have, say, four or more uh, children. Uh, the Minister Stephen Donnelly uh, said that there are He knows that there are people who do need to see a GP or whose child needs to see a GP, but they're put off going for that visit because of the charge. I mean, some practices, it can be up to 70 euro to visit your GP. And he says that that's something that no GP he has spoken to wants either. So he's saying GPs don't want people sitting at home and not coming in just because they can't afford to pay for the visit. He said it was necessary to do a what he says was a short round of intense engagements with the IMO. But I'm assuming you made this announcement in October and here we are at the beginning of July and you only come to the end of those negotiations. So I don't know if I would describe them as a short round of intense engagements. Anyway, he said he's put a very substantial amount of money on the table in respect of permanent reoccurrent funding to support the GP practices around the country. And he said this is so that they can expand capacity in general practice at the same time as we increase demand to state-funded access. So that all sounds great and it's all brilliant for people, uh, particularly for people who earn €46,000 or less a year to think that they will have free access to the GP. But I think the GPs, again, are going to come under a lot of pressure and it's a topic we're actually going to be addressing on the programme today uh, because Dr Fiona Kelly, who runs a practice in Castletown Bear, joins us to tell us what happened with her when she took a well-deserved break over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks. And actually today... 
Um, on the front page of the Echo, Cork GPs have highlighted a staffing crisis within the sector, with some forced to cancel holiday plans, some are forced to come back to work early, and then others are forced to close their practice temporarily. Why? Because there's a lack of cover. And Bantry GP Paul O'Sullivan, who we've spoken with before in the programme, he's quoted in the papers today as saying how some of his colleagues have found themselves turning around at the airport after receiving a call to inform them that the locum doctor who was due to cover their practice has failed to show up. He said the issue will likely lead to increased burnout and early retirement in the sector. He said the problem is that most GPs have to be contactable on a 24-hour basis. So it's not as simple shutting up shop, going away for a week or two. He said you have to make provisions for your patients in advance. And if a GP doesn't turn up, you literally have to step in, even though you and your family have been preparing for a break, which seems so, so unfair. The rest of us book a holiday. We, We let our employer know we're going away and off we go. And we certainly don't work in a business where you've got to find your own cover. And whatever about finding your own cover, if there's a lot of people available to do that type of work. But the issue that's at hand here is we don't have enough GPs. We, do, we certainly don't have enough locum GPs to do any kind of cover. But an issue we have spoken about over the years and spoken about certainly many times in the last probably five to ten years. We have an ageing population when it comes to our GPs. More and more of them are uh, retiring. Only last week we dealt with the issue of what was happening in Charleville when two doctors, husband and wife team, decided to uh, retire. No one available to take on the private patients the HSE stepped in for any of the medical card patients and assigned them a GP practice. And we had the wonderful Anne Hurley from Charleville speak to us about the lens she had gone to get her husband and son signed up to a GP and the amount of practices that she had rang. And every time she rang, lovely, friendly people on reception at the GP uh, surgeries around the county were saying, sorry, our list is full. Sorry, our list is full. No, she eventually, by the time she got to speak with us, had found a GP practice in a dare that's taking on her husband and her son. But that's a 20 minute journey to get to their doctor. They don't have a doctor anymore in the town. All of the practices in Charleville are uh, full. So uh, I'm glad to see that extra money uh, is being put in by Stephen Donnelly uh, and, you know, and obviously that will help with practice nurses, I think, and things like, uh, things like that. But it's more GPs. We need more GPs. And as I say, we will speak with uh, Dr. Fiona Kelly to tell us her story. And, and I'm also interested to hear from Fiona what her thoughts are, what are on possible solutions to this going forward. Your thoughts are uh, welcomed on 0818 103 103. Mike said, I thought all under 12s were to get a free GP visit card. That wasn't mentioned in the last budget. No, I think long term, that is the goal. I think under Sloan to Care in particular, but that is the goal of the government that eventually all children under the age of 12 would get free GP but they were rolling it out slowly but they're certainly rolling it out much slower than what families would want. It was only at the October budget that they extended it up to now it's up to the age of six and then what they did in October was they said six and seven year olds would be able to uh, hang on to their GP visit card but it's a very very slow rollout indeed so no Mike you've got a bit of a wait for it to get to under 12s. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie.
Cork Today on C103. Now, Dr Fiona Kelly is a well-known GP working in Castletown Bear out on the beautiful Beira Peninsula and she's been doing that since 2009. Last week, she managed to get away on holidays to beautiful Italy. But as she outlined in a Facebook post, simply booking time off and heading away to switch off isn't easy if you are running a rural GP practice. And I'm delighted to say uh, Dr Fiona Kelly takes some time out to talk to us this morning. Good morning to Fiona. Hello, Patricia. How uh, are you? I'm, I'm very well. And thank you for, because I know how busy you are. And um, firstly, outside of the last few days and the lead into the hospital, did you have a nice break? Um, I did. But to be honest, Patricia, I suppose I knew that I would have to close on Friday um, and that was looming over the, the whole entire holiday, to be honest. Ah, that's a pity. That, yeah. that really is a pity. Because yeah. you really needed this holiday. You've had, a bit of a, you've had a tough year. I did. So, basically, my dad died um, very unexpectedly in, um, in January. And then I had some surgery myself in February. And my son also had to have surgery due to an accident. My mother was hospitalised and my daughter is in remission from leukaemia. Um, so she developed leukaemia when she was three years of age and she's nine now. So, you know, she's not going to be out of the woods until she's 21 years of age. Mm. So I was so, so looking forward to this holiday. And I suppose, Patricia, this holiday wouldn't have been possible um, for me had it not been for a retired GP contacting me after hearing my discussion back in 2021 on prime time when I was just trying to highlight the, the out-of-hours crisis in the Bear Peninsula at the time. And this lovely, lovely GP, so obliging, she rang me and covered um, my leave. But a few weeks before she, she um, before I went on holiday, she discovered that her, reg- her medical insurance would run out on midnight last Thursday. So that meant that she couldn't do the Friday. So she'd covered all the the previous week and a bit for me. So she tried her best um, to get the cover for one day. And basically, she was met with a a resounding no from the insurance company. They told her that she'd have to return or that she'd have to renew for a full year, which would basically cost about €6,000. Ah, for God's sake. Yeah. So I then, my frantic search then uh, for one day's cover began. Um, I contacted three other GPs who, ironically enough, were not renewing their registration. Um, We contacted two locum companies. So a locum company is a company who has, um, you know, kind of standing doctors on their books who are willing to, you know, cover short... um, you know, leave for, for, for permanent doctors. So we contacted two of those companies. There was nobody available. And we put an advertisement as well on a national forum. And I, myself and my practice manager, made several word-of-mouth inquiries and our efforts were just all unfruitful. So um, you went away to Italy knowing that on the, the last day of your, well, you, you came back on the Saturday, wasn't it? Came back on Saturday, Saturday. Yeah. So, but you knew on the Friday, and you were still hoping that maybe somehow yep. a locum could be found. Yeah. So all the time I was away, 
my practice manager was making phone calls, still advertising, ringing the local companies. And I was texting her every day, hoping there'd be good news. And unfortunately, there wasn't. The, the, the answer every day was no, nobody available. So the decision then had to be made to close the practice for one day? For one day. Um, I thought about getting a flight back, but my flights were from Cork to Pisa and or Pisa to Cork, and they only fly, they only operate on a Tuesday and, and a, a Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, so yeah. that so that was out. That that was out. So that was out. So the, but the but the decision to close obviously doesn't come easy. But what really oh. struck me in in your piece was the HSE contacted you kind of smartly and quickly about closing yep. the practice. Tell me about Within that. Within half an hour of when the practice should have opened. I, I got an email and basically asking me to explain my situation, my 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 decision, and outlining that I had no locum in place. Now, Patricia, it wasn't for the ones to trying. I tell you, we spent hours and hours and hours and days and days trying to find a doctor, but they simply do not exist. How did you keep your temper under control when you got that email? Well, I was I was very upset to be honest. I was more upset than angry to be honest. And I there was um, another HSE official um, CC'd on the email. So I sat down and I explained my story. I told um, them that for the last fourteen point five years, fourteen and a half years, I never took um, I never had to close the practice. I took five weeks maternity leave with my first child four weeks maternity leave with my second child and I worked right throughout the two and a half years that my daughter Lizzie was going through her battle with leukaemia and I never once closed. I worked throughout that and I was so upset Patricia basically that you know they were so quick to pounce um, within half an hour of the practice when it should have been opened and absolutely no acknowledgement for my last 14.5 14.5 years of service. Um, so I I explained all this and I explained, you know, the 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 links I went to 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 find a locum and I sent it off. And what kind of really got to me was that the HSE person who was CC'd on the email, I got an automated response back to say, um, unfortunately, I am out of the office for annual leave until July the 10th. Oh, so kick in the I teeth. then w- was here over in Italy looking out in this, this tra- at this tranquil harbour in Manarola and here I was in floods of tears and, you know, I decided that, you know, something needed to be done. And not just for me, Patricia, it's for all GPs. We're all struggling. And, um, so I decided that I would go public with my Facebook post because I think we've just been quite, we've been quite for so long, Patricia. And enough is enough. Is, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yeah. And the sacrifices we make, you know, the sacrifices we make is are, are just and people don't realise it, you know. Like I'm basically confined to the Bear Peninsula from eight a.m. on a, a um, on a Monday morning until a Friday evening. Like, you know, I've missed my children's matches. 
I've, I've, Jack, my son, had to have surgery. He was three days an inpatient in, in CUH there a few months ago because um, he had to have surgery due to an injury. I couldn't go to Cork to see him. Because you were in I the surgery. I couldn't be with him. Yeah. And you, 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 know? you mentioned um, uh, Lizzie uh, battling with uh, leukaemia and, and, mm. you, and you worked right throughout. I'm assuming that a lot of that treatment was in Dublin. It was. A lot of it was in Dublin. But we were lucky enough as well where we have Claude Ryan and the Mercy as well. But we'd have to go to Dublin a lot of the time. Um, and it was many of the occasion where we drove to Dublin. We'd have to stay. Um, we'd have to stay overnight. She'd have her chemo. We'd go up late in the evening when I finished um, in my surgery. We'd um, stay in the parents' accommodation in, in Crumlin. She'd have her chemotherapy then in the where she'd be put under sedation. They used to inject chemotherapy into her spine to keep the, the leukemic cells at, at bay. And you'd have to wait in recovery then for a while and, you know, make sure she was... And she'd often be nauseous after it and have a lot of pain, you know. And then face the long journey down to Castletown Bear. Often arrive down nine ten o'clock at night. And next thing, she'd spike a temperature... And as anybody who's undergoing chemotherapy knows that when you spike a temperature, when you're immunocompromised, you have to be admitted for, for antibiotics so that um, you won't develop sepsis. And many of the time after coming back from Dublin, up to Cork then again, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and back down again then with me for work, you know. And nothing about that has been acknowledged by the HSC. Yeah, Nothing. and then the one day you decide yeah. to close through no fault of your own, they pounce no. on you straight away to say, why why, why are you closed? And there's also a cost factor in this, Fiona, in that you have to pay the locum, obviously. The HSE doesn't pay the locum. No, no. So, like, we, so how it works when you're a GP, you're self-employed, but you, you're an independent contractor for the HSE. And our contract, they're trying to change it for years. It, it, it dates back to the early 1970s. And basically, we have, as GPs, a 24-7, 365-day commitment to our medical care patients. Basically, if we can't provide the cover, you know, we have to do the work ourselves. Um, so then on top of that, I suppose, you know, um, there is obviously the cost. If we if we want to take time off, you, you have to pay for it. Um, to cover, um, you know, a, a locum for a day is because it's, it's expensive. Locums are expensive. There's not very many of them there. It's a minimum of €700 Euro a day. And often than not, you know, you'd have to pay accommodation. Um, accommodation on, on top of that. Now, you do get 190 per day um, from the HSE towards annual leave, sick leave and maternity leave, which oh, it, it doesn't and really and cover I, I, it, And I know. was just about to say, you don't have a barter fund like RTE that you can dip into and pay for it out of that, no. obviously. No. It's no. It, it's just, it, it it is shocking. And, and I mentioned the front page of The Echo this morning. Obviously, your story is in The Echo as well. And one of your fellow right. GPs in West Cork, Paul O'Sullivan, uh, is talking about it. And he's talking about exactly what you're, ta- what you're saying. And he's heard of doctors turning around at the airport because suddenly they get the phone call to say that the locum uh, hasn't uh, turned up. What yep. are the solutions to the, lack okay. of, to, to the lack of GPs? Yeah, so I have a few solutions. Okay. But obviously, I can't change things myself it has to come from the the higher powers 
Um, I first, first of all, I think the, the GMS contract has to be changed, where GPs are, are not obligated to, to provide twenty four seven commitments because you know younger GPs won't accept accept this commitment and responsibility. And also, I think the HS. You see, they have to accept some responsibility for helping to secure locum cover for sick leave, maternity leave, annual leave. You know, we like I tried myself, but, you know, I, I couldn't. And the thing is, we have to have protected time off. I know in Australia, um, in order to, you know, to attract GPs to rural areas, you know, there are certain places where a GP works for six weeks and then they have six weeks off. Um, but, you know, who in their right mind really, Patricia, would opt to take over a, a single rural, a, a single-handed rural practice with no guarantee of time off? Can you, you un- can you understand why so many of the young doctors are heading overseas? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I qualified from, so it took me seven years to, to my, my medical degree in, in UCC was seven years that time. And then I was lucky enough to get straight into the GP training programme, which was another four years. And there were 14 of us, Patricia, who qualified after doing all that time. And there are a handful of us now working as GPs. Like a lot of my friends now, um, they've gone into HSE jobs where they're direct employees of the HSE. So they're, they're not contracting for them. So there's a few who are area medical officers. They go around you know, giving the school vaccinations. Mm. Um, there's a girl gone into palliative care, another girl gone into dermatology. And with that, because they're direct employees of the HSE, they get all the benefits, like the maternity benefits, the sick leave benefits, the annual guaranteed, leave Guaranteed holidays guaranteed. every year. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and they I know, all think I'm mad I know, still being a GP. Uh, you, yeah, we're lucky that you love doing what you're doing. And, <laughs> and, and I know the people of the Bear Peninsula are indebted to you and they love you uh, as well. I, I, I looked into a piece uh, a few weeks ago and it was about going overseas to get GPs from outside the EU. Is that working? No. Uh, In theory, it sounds absolutely brilliant. And the HSE keep quoting this, you know, when when the the discussion on the the crisis, the GP crisis, arises. So basically what it is, it's a non-EU doctor rural GP scheme, right? Mm -hmm. And basically, in theory, it's absolutely brilliant. And if it it, it, it works, it, it will be brilliant, right? So how it works is... Um, a non-EU doctor um, who wants to come to Ireland, they will be placed in an area of need in a rural practice or, you know, an urban practice or a deprived area. And there they'll be with a GP for two years. And at the end of that two years, they will get their specialist training. So they'll be able to be fully qualified GPs on the the, the specialist um, GP um, registrar. Okay. Register. But what's but the problem? The problem is, so there's a big problem. So at the moment, the, from start to finish, the application process is taking a year. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, it's a year. And I actually, there's a friend of mine who is a non-EU doctor, and she applied through this scheme. And basically, I'll just read now um, just a little bit from the Medical Council, first of all, Medical Council email. 
It is currently taking approximately seven months to commence assessments once all documents are received. Please note that this is an estimated time frame to begin assessment, not to complete. Now, that's seven months before they'll begin it. Then there's all the other red tape of getting a visa. So basically, from start to finish, it takes... And the paperwork then, trying to get the paperwork accumulated before they even submit the papers to, to the Medical Council. So the whole thing takes takes a year. So what is a, a non-world GP going to do, right? They want to, get, they want to get out of their own country for whatever reason. Right. They look to come to Ireland. They see the red tape. They want to move their, their, their family halfway across the world. They want to secure a house. They want to secure a school for their children. It's taking a year. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to some place like New Zealand, where yeah. it's taking minimal time. They'll hope they hoover it up because we know we know that the, this is a world shortage of, of GPs. Yeah. So there's loads yeah. of other countries fighting for those GPs. We yeah. should be bending and over backwards if we have somebody interested in coming here. Yeah, and oh, the thing with the medical council, their you know their 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 ethos is protecting patients and supporting doctors. Like if you have a burnt out doctor, first of all, or if you have um, an area with no doctor, how is that protecting yeah, patients? It's not. It's not. Okay, no. and 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 very finally, um, because I mentioned this before you came on uh, this morning, the discussions between the Irish Medical Organisation and Stephen Donnelly have have finally been completed, and it means extra people are going to get the free GP card. Yeah. Are, are you worried about that? They reckon um, oh, half a million extra people will have a GP card. Yeah, I'm very worried because, like, how are we going to deal? No, I think it's. It is brilliant, absolutely. I'm all for the free GP care, absolutely. But they need to start the manpower crisis first. Yeah, you know, they need to start it. Like Patricia, in like into in February 22, there were 26 GP panels around the country left vacant, and more than half of these were in towns and villages. And at the moment, more than 500 GPs are, are very near retirement. And the ICGP estimates that 6,000 doctors are needed. And at the moment, we only have 2,807 full-time GPs. So how are we going to cope? You know? Listen, it's great yeah. in theory. Yeah. But they really need to start from basics. Yeah. And yeah. It's get back start. to basics. That's, that's exactly what it is. Listen, Fiona, I leave it there. I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. And I can see an outpouring of love from your patients. <laughs> so keep, keep flying the flag. You're doing fantastic. And it's a, a pleasure. Million, we'll Patricia. talk again. Thanks for chatting Take to care, us. Patricia. Good bye morning. Bye bye. Isn't she gorgeous? That is Dr. Uh, Fiona Kelly uh, working at a Castle Town Bear, but shocking that she has to go public just to say how stressful it is to be a GP in a rural practice. Court today on C103. Now, the Department of Foreign Affairs has advised those travelling to or those who are currently in France to exercise caution and vacate any area where disturbances are taking place. This, of course, follows ongoing rioting and violence since a police officer killed a teenager in a suburb northwest of Paris. Lara Marlowe is a Paris-based journalist, author and contributor with the Irish Times and Lara joins me this morning. Good morning, Lara. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, great to talk to you. Now, I know the grandmother of the young man killed uh, called for an end uh, to the uh, violence, and it does look like things are easing a little bit. Do you believe the worst of the riots are now over? Yes, definitely. I mean, 
the, the figures, if you look at the numbers overnight, um, they would still look bad in a normal country. Uh, for example, 72 people were arrested, 159 cars were burned, 24 buildings were damaged, and four police or gendarmerie stations were damaged. But that is really small compared to what is earlier nights. Uh, in total, in the week since 17-year-old Nao was shot dead by a policeman, 3,486 people have been arrested in France. Um, but the interior minister said uh, late yesterday that um, we are returning to calm. Uh, President Emmanuel Macron went to a uh, police commissariat in Paris last night, and, and that was his first outing related to the, the riots. Um, it's really time now to, to tally up the losses and reflect on what happened. And there are there's a whole bunch of um, draft laws already um, coming into Parliament, uh, that, which, you know, the ones on the left are you might qualify as anti-police, and the ones on the right you might qualify as anti-rioters. I can, I'm happy to go into more detail on that yeah, legislation and is, if you is, like. But is, but is this some of the worst social upheaval that France has witnessed? Yes, yes. Um, every All the commentators agree this is worse, although it was shorter in duration, it's been worse than the 2005 riots, which were the sort of hallmark until now of, of urban violence. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, in 2005, the rioters burned 10,000 cars <sighs> in three weeks. Um, but in the last week, they've burned 5,000 cars in just one week. And um, looking, yeah. looking at the any of the video uh, footage, either online or, or on TV, the rioters seem very young, Lara. Yes, they are. Um, uh, according to the government, uh, 30% of them are 17 or under, and many of them are sort of 13, 14 years old. Uh, I, I talked to someone who'd seen children of seven or eight helping to loot a supermarket north of Paris and, and laughing as they were carrying stuff wow. out of the supermarket. Wow. And what happened at the mayor's house was pretty vicious, wasn't it? It was. It really shocked um, the country. In fact, as a result of it, uh, about 250 mayors are going to the Elysee um, right about now uh, to see Macron. It, this happened about 1.30 in the morning on Sunday, uh, the mayor is called uh, Vincent uh, Jeanbrun, if my memory is correct. He was in his town hall uh, with police, and he had surrounded the town hall with barbed wire, and they were staying there overnight to protect it because uh, hundreds of, of buildings have been burned down during the riots. His wife and two small children, aged five and seven, were sleeping at home. And the rioters uh, set a car on fire and, and you know, had the engine on and, and kind of pushed it into the gate of his house. It had um, sort of inflammable liquid in a bottle in the car. They were hoping, obviously, to burn the, the house down. It didn't burn, it damaged the house, but it didn't burn it down because there was a small wall that the, the car hit. But the wife was, broken, was woken up by the crash of the car. Uh, and ran out the back of the house with the two small children, and she uh, broke her leg, and one of the children was also injured, the five-year-old. So you can imagine how traumatized they will be. It's dreadful. And then I was reading about a GoFundMe page that was set up for the policeman. I mean, I'm assuming 
um, that has provoked outrage from the victim's family, obviously, but from some of the rioters yeah. as well. Yes, uh, very much so. That's one of the most controversial things that's still going on. That has raised 1.3 million euro uh, for the family of the policeman who, who shot this boy dead. Um, by contrast, a fund for the family of Naho, the, the 17-year-old who was shot dead, uh, has raised uh, about um, 250,000, so less than a quarter, um, about a fifth of what was raised for the policeman. Um, that was by that was started by a far right politician called Jean Messia, who uh, supports Eric Zemmour. You may remember him; he was an extreme right wing candidate to, to be president in the yeah. last election a year ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's he was Zemmour, and these people describe the rioters as vermin, barbarians, um, hordes, uh, savage hordes. Um, this is the kind of language being used. It shows a very divided society, doesn't it, in France? It, it certainly does. It certainly does. I mean, um, if you just, if you look at the, I, I find the legislation, the draft legislation, really fascinating. Um, the, the France Unbound, which is the far-left party, uh, is pu- putting up a draft law that would repeal the 2017 law that is held responsible for all of this violence. Um, in 2017, following a number of terrorist attacks in France, uh, they wanted to do something for the police. And you remember that the attack in Nice on the Promenade des Anglais, uh, a Tunisian in a rented lorry had mowed down 86 people, killing them. So they made this law that says that police can shoot people uh, who, are, uh, who are driving away if they refuse to stop. And the number of people shot dead while they're refusing to stop for police has been multiplied at least five times since then. Sixteen people in just a year and a half have been shot dead in France because they would not stop for police. Uh, in Germany, over 10 years, one person has died that way. So that, that gives you an idea of the scale of the problem. Um, on the other hand, the, the RN, the Rassemblement National, Marine Le Pen's party, has just proposed a law which would do away with the excuse of being a minor uh, for offences. In other words, teenagers who, who loot and, and vandalize would be held responsible uh, in the same way that an adult would be. Uh, so you can see the contrast between... And then there's another um, a right-wing deputy, just you know, sort of a conservative party, Les Républicains, uh, Eric Ciotti, in fact, he's the leader of that party, wants to stop all welfare payments to parents of delinquent children. Uh, and this was actually passed after the 2005 riots, but uh, when Francois Hollande was the socialist president, he abrogated that law. So they're trying to bring that back. Um, and the, the right also wants 80,000 places in prison. Um, you know, so it's, it's very much on one side, people want law and order and police repression. And on the other side, people want to control the police and reform the police. Very interesting times ahead for sure in uh, France. Listen, Lara, uh, we leave it there. And by the way, when I last spoke, it was in advance of you heading to the Lismore Writers Festival. Did you have a lovely weekend? It was wonderful. Was it? Yeah, I, um, I, I filled in for Tommy Reichenthal, who yeah. was, whose wife had broken her hip. And I had um, two, two days in a row, the amphitheatre of 150 people, full packed. And um, they actually gave me a standing ovation on, on Saturday afternoon. I was 
so happy and it was a great audience both times it was really fun brilliant because I because I did hear from people who were there and they said you were outstanding as I knew you would be <laughs> listen Lara I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us look after yourself and thanks for chatting Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, the wonderful Lara Marlowe uh, joining us live from uh, Paris. Uh, Interesting laws uh, if they are introduced in uh, France. And I could actually hear people when she was saying, particularly about the the law that wants to stop if somebody is on social social welfare payment, if their child gets involved in rioting or antisocial behaviour, that the parent would lose their social welfare uh, payment. You could see there would be an element in this country would think that that uh, law like that should be introduced here as well. 0818 103 103. Just on the RTE story, uh, Lottie Ryan has announced she's no longer represented by Noel Kelly. The RTE presenter has posted on social media to say her relationship with NK Management ended a number of weeks ago where, when they respectively, respectfully parted ways and that, of course, comes amid all the controversy where Noel Kelly has been representing Ryan Toberty and a lot of other RTE uh, stars. In the last hour with uh, Dr Fiona Kelly, and that was led off by me uh, talking about the expansion of the free GP visit only uh, cards that's expected to get signed off and is going to be introduced in the coming months. Uh, firstly, Michael is in uh, Castletown Bear and he says, Patricia, the HSE, this is reacting to uh, Dr Fiona, the HSE is complete and utter disgrace. It was the biggest ever white elephant that Micheál Martin ever created. It's worse than RTE and that's saying something the way in which their money has been spent and what we're hearing about uh, recently. Rural Ireland and its GPs are so badly treated it simply goes beyond belief. I've said it before the people of Beira do not fully value the presence of our GP Dr Fiona Kelly who you spoke with in the last hour. She's an outstanding young GP and the pressure that that young doctor is under is unbelievable and most certainly cannot be sustained. Uh, thanking you again for covering this issue and that's from Michael in uh, Castletown Bear. Yeah, she's, I know, and I've interviewed Fiona in the past. I mean, she's superly impressive, I, I will say that. But you definitely can hear it in her voice and um, the piece that she put up on social media at the weekend shocked me to the core because you could see the pressure that this young doctor and remember she's not just a young doctor she's also a young mother and wife you know what I mean she's got a family as well that she has to go home uh, to and bearing in mind in the midst of, of that young family is a little girl who's her, her daughter who's battled uh, leukaemia so a lot of pressure a lot of pressure uh, in, uh, on that on her on her young shoulders God help her you can't help but feel sorry for her and she is so dedicated to her patients and anyone uh, down on the Bearer Peninsula who knows her everybody speaks so highly uh, of her and all she wants like it's, it's she doesn't want to walk away from the practice she's certainly not talking about doing anything like that all she wants is a little bit of help and support from the HSE and then when you know she goes to such great lengths to try and get the cover and when she can't get the cover and she has to close and it was a very difficult decision for her to have to close the practice last uh, Friday and within a half an hour the HSE are on grilling her as to why why she's closed for a day. It's just, it it truly is shocking the way she has been uh, treated. But I I do commend her for going public because I think we, the general public, need to hear more of those stories. We need to hear how difficult it is for doctors. And then you've got the minister coming out saying, oh, I've gone into negotiations with the Irish Medical Organisations and I'm now ready to roll out free GP uh, care to the six and the seven year olds and to a cohort of uh, people who are earning uh, less than four 
€46,000, which, by the way, has to be welcomed because somebody earning €46,000 that's not the king's ransom and they're finding it very difficult to go to a doctor so I can understand why it's been done but it, it has to be done in parallel with having enough doctors and giving the doctors that are there the support that they need. A couple of people on about the the extension of the free GP cards. One, uh, Sally in Dunmanway says, I am a childless taxpayer. Why should I be paying for others to visit the GP with their children when I never go? Why? Because it's simply too expensive. I can't afford to go to the GP myself. Will the the government pay for my dog's vet's visits? I think not. The country is a joke, says Sally in Domamwe, not in favour of extending the GP cards uh, to children aged six and uh, seven. And then someone else says, listening to a conversation regarding the GP service, I find the problem is that the free under six, these are the ones that already have the free GP uh, cards, that needs to be scrapped. It's overwhelming GP surgeries. Why? Because it is free. And when anything is free, guess what happens? It gets totally abused. Parents are getting too many concessions as it is. A GP should a free GP card should only be used for children with a long term illness or special needs, etc. Instead, this reserved funding should be paid to GPs to allow them to visit the housebound. Start going back to making house calls that like they used to do once upon a time. It would certainly free up a lot of our hospitals uh, as well. And it's always been the argument about giving out free GP cards when they started introducing them for children. They, that argument was put forward by the doctors themselves as well. They know that when something is totally free, people use it more I know whether it's in our nature or whatever when something is free we just want more access uh, to it so you know it does put additional pressure on GPs and of course if GPs then come under additional pressure looking after the children the knock on effect is for everybody else who's trying to get into that GP practice either to get an, uh, you know, to get an appointment or to see a, a doctor so I, yeah I don't know the, I, I think what I do know what the answer is the answer is we need more GPs we need to get to, to a situation where everyone can go to the doctor and everyone is entitled to a free GP. In the ideal world, that's what would happen. That's what happens in other countries where it's properly funded by the state so that everyone has free access to a GP. But the only way that can happen is if if and when we have enough GPs in order to cover that work. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts are uh, welcomed. And the government are having a busy few days and it's not just to do with the, the comings and goings from RTE. It seems a significant significant package of one-off spending measures is now likely to be included in the budget that will be announced in October and this will be a budget 2024. It's looking like it'll be a little bit like the repeat of last year. They'll go with the same type of formula. Now the leaders of the three government parties, along with the two budget ministers. It seems they've been locked into uh, talks and those talks continued up to late last uh, night. And that's in advance of the publication of what's called the Summer Economic Statement. Now, the Summer Economic Statement that always sets out the parameters for the October budget. And that summer statement is going to be approved by the government and published uh, today. Multiple sources in the papers are saying that that statement uh, will was likely to take a cautious approach and that's due obviously to fears about inflation and overheating what is already uh, ex- an expanding economy. Sources have added 
This meant the budget would be accompanied by billions of euro in the one-off measures. Now, they were the one-off measures like we had last year. And the idea of the one-off uh, measures, they're intended, you know, to ease the cost of uh, living. And of course, they do that without adding to inflation or taking a new annual reoccurring spend commitment. Because if they give something that is going to have to reoccur, then obviously there could be problems in future years if they don't have the money. So there'll be these one-off uh, payments. There was alarm amongst some ministers at reports over the weekend suggesting that the budget packet might be just five billion. Now, that was considered by by many to simply be too low, particularly when the exchequer is a wash with money. One minister described a five billion figure not being realistic and another said it would simply be unsustainable. Informed sources uh, speaking before last night's crunch meeting said it's likely to come out somewhere in excess of uh, six billion. And I did see a figure that's coming down the wires uh, this morning to say it's likely to be about 6.1 billion, somewhere around uh, uh, there. And that will include more than 1 billion in tax measures. A lot of people who go out to work every day are hoping that there will be a lot included when it comes under tax measures will be included to um, things like adjustment to the bans and the thresholds. And that obviously reduces the amount of money that people would otherwise have to uh, pay. However, the spending increases would be accompanied by a repeat of what they did last year with the one-off measures. And what were the one-off measures? They gave things like uh, the bonus welfare payment. Remember, they gave additional bonus welfare payment. There was bonus payments made for for people on child benefit. There was cost of living payments uh, that were announced. They reckon about four billion uh, will be spent on that. Now you've got all of the, the two finance ministers that's the Minister for Finance Michael McGrath and of course the Minister for Public Expenditure uh, Pascal uh, Donoghue they are net between now and when the budget happens in October they of course will face a barrage of spending demands because all of the other ministers will be jockeying for their department spending and all looking for uh, increases but yesterday Pascal Donoghue hinted that he favours a similar package to last year's budget where the tax system moves towards the indexation and that ensures that people who say for example receives a pay increase they don't lose the value by moving into a higher tax bracket because countless times that would have happened over the years where somebody gets a little bit of a bounce in a little bit of a pay increase or they might do extra they might do overtime and get extra pay and lo and behold when they're pay package arrives, they're actually paid less because it's moved them into a higher bracket and they've ended up actually losing out on money because of the pay increase or because they did a little bit of overtime. So there's moves to do what they did last year to do the same again. And then the one-off payments, the people like the pensioners uh, will benefit, uh, people on disability uh, benefit, people who get fuel allowance, remember there was extra given. It looks like similar packages to that. Can't say anything at this stage that would be that would help everyone like the energy credits that they gave last year. I mean, there certainly has been talks that they're going to have to do something about the energy credits because we're not seeing the cost of electricity or gas being reduced in any way. And, and already people are getting their summer electricity bills and they are extremely high. And as we go into the w- autumn and the winter months, when people use more electricity, people simply will not be able to afford to pay their electric bills unless the government does some kind of an intervention. So, so I imagine when they're discussing the summer economic statement today and when they're talking about these one-off 
spends that they're going to do as part of the budget. I imagine that energy credits are going to be high on that list as well. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. C103 Jobs. A delivery van driver that's urgently needed. It's for an immediate start. It's in uh, Cork City and County areas. Your contact is John on 087 257 An experienced beauty therapist is wanted to work in Mallow. CVs please to mallowbeautyclinic at gmail.com. Ballancolic coaches have vacancies for full and part-time bus drivers. It's for school transport and for private hire. 021 487 3828. And if you are interested in becoming an agent for the Nazareth House Lotto, please call 022 21561. And a general operative slash ground worker with full driving licence and safe pass is wanted for a full-time position in the North Cork area. Call 063-323-52. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. IRG Duhalo uh, says a large number of vulnerable people in their region may never leave their homes again because of the fear that they felt during the COVID pandemic. IRG Duhalo are now looking for people to visit these homes. And joining me with more on this is uh, Maura Walsh, CEO of IRD Do Hollow. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning. Patricia. And all, all, well, always great to uh, chat to you. That's such a st- sad statement and a sad thing uh, to think about. And I know this is possibly happening nationwide, but more acute in the Do Hollow area, uh, Maura, due to the older population, isn't it? Absolutely. We have, we have an aging population here, without a doubt. Uh, people are living longer, but also our, a lot of our younger people have been immigrating. Although I think this is going to be the first instance where we're going to see an actual increase in population in Duhalla, which is positive as well. But that doesn't take from the fact that we still have a very high, much higher percentage of older people than other parts of the county and the country. And are you talking about some older people not leaving their house to even go to Mass or to the shops? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've, we've chatted in verse, but there are people who would have been absolute total massacres. And I think the COVID period, the two years, first of all, the fear of going out and that they would infect someone or get infected or, you know, die about this and, and all the rest. But I think as well as that, it's, it's like the habit. Mm. You know, they were consoled that, you know, a mask on the screen is every bit as good as mask in person. And, you know, it's way easier to just get up and not have to, you know, brush your hair as well as do anything and just turn on the mask and be listening to it or, you know, on the radio or listen to it or watch it on the television. There is a bit of that and that's the bit that we're worried about. Like, we're, 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 we're not concerned, but, you know, there are people who cannot leave their house, they have mobility issues, they have, you know, illness issues and, you know, that, that was always the case. We're talking about people who would be well able. And are you talking about people, Maura, who prior to the pandemic 
would have left, would have led quite active lives, you know, would Absolutely. have maybe gone to social events, maybe gone to Absolutely. the bingo. We, we, we know of people who would have gone to not just one day care centre in the week, they'd go to the one in the next parish as well, you know, <laughs> and, and, and enjoy it. Yeah. You know, they, they would go out uh, and, and would be quite anxious. But it, it is, I suppose, like all of us, you know, you know when, when you're in the habit of going out and you're meeting people, and, you know, it's something you do. And then you don't do it for a while for whatever reason. And you literally just get out of the habit. And as I said, it's fine for those who are going to work or going to marriage. We're still having social contact. But for older people who are at home, often the owner with another older person, they're not getting that social contact. You know, and, and, and would some of these people have no family members living? Yeah, yeah. There, there is. There is a good bit of that because, as I said, for years, Johalo has had out-migration people went to, to Dublin, you know, or further even for, for work abroad. And they don't, you know, they're not available locally. You know, they're not living next door. And I think as well, the kind of curtailment of, you know, building one-off houses in the countryside, that's adding to the isolation as well. You know, the, the next the next generation coming on, there aren't that many nearby uh, you know, that would call. And, and I, I've had to be in my bonnet and we've spoken about it before. You know, a kind of a push. And, and, and I will blame a media push. It's a message that we've been getting nationally, you know, about being busybodies in the countryside and, you know, calling unannounced and, and busy, you know, nosing our into other people's affairs and the neighbourhood. And, you know, I, I don't like that narrative because mm. I think traditionally... People did call into neighbours' houses without having to ring and make an appointment and, you know, have the table set. Yeah. They just call passing uh, for no reason. They might only have two or three words to say, but it was a present. And I think that has died out quite a bit. I, I see it myself. And it's not just about going to work. It's habit as well. It's yeah, well, because, yeah, I mean, I, I do remember after the pandemic, as you know, we slowly got back yeah. into uh, yeah. normality. Like, we would have heard from a lot of people and not necessarily older, vulnerable mm. people, but a lot of people said they just got out, got out of the habit, as oh, you say, yeah. of brushing the hair, putting on the bit yeah. of lippy. Uh, sure, yeah. I might as well stay at home, isn't yeah. it easier? Yeah. You almost had to push yourself to get back out. Absolutely, and if, if and you and you and we had to go out. I yeah. suppose there was still that had to go out, but if you didn't have to go out, if you had, you know, the online shopping, you had, you know, all of this. I think we are on a slippery slope, and oh, that was not just me. It's the people that are working directly with and the colleagues here, we are seeing there is a slip that could go very quickly into a depression. Yeah. And to you know, a, 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 the mental well-being will not benefit by being this. by being locked exactly. indoors uh, for exactly. sure. And would would you, for example, see more people availing of say things like Meals on Wheels? Totally, we have we have a lot more people that are coming on. Like I know every year our numbers stay more or less the same because because of the age profile, we lose a number obviously every year. Yeah, but we also gain a number of more. But what we have noticed is that the, the, there was a particular cohort, and, and I, I would say single men that would be maybe widowed or, you know, whatever, that were coming in. And, and they used to meet kind of as a group, and one that set the table, whoever was in first this week set the table for the others. 
And that's not happening as much. Now, we are getting more people coming in, but that cohort, I'm, I'm, I'm missing. Um, yeah. People, the laundry, we have a lot more people availing of the collective as well as deliver it before they might bring it in themselves. Um, what's, the, what's the laundry? You, you want a laundry service? We do, we do. We do a laundry service as well. It's prompted by our carers family carers back in the day uh, set it up and also we give discounts then for you know family carers people on welfare um, you know low income Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Um, all of that. So it's, it's, it's a fabulous service. For everything from duvets down to the nitrous and whatever you're told, you name it. And um, you do, and you do, you do collection and delivery. We do collection and delivery for people. Wow, that's a great service. And and I remember chatting with you, Maura, during the pandemic, the friendly phone call service. Um, And and I remember we passed that number on to so many people uh, who who needed it. It, uh, Is that still in operation? That is still in operation. We're still doing that. Uh, My colleague up in Rockchapel just has a cohort of people that's doing it every single day. Uh, We've had a number of volunteers also that stayed on with this doing and we're now looking as we were looking at it before the pandemic but had to pull the brake in it but we're looking at ratcheting it up again and that is a befriending service for all the world it reminds me of what we used to do back in the day with the Legion of 
scary. Yeah. So you'd go out and visit. Oh, yeah, I, God, you brought me back. <laughs> I, I, I was a member of the Legion of Mary as <laughs> as as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. And we used to, God, I'd forgotten about that. And we yeah. used to go out. There was three of us went out together and we used yeah. to visit. Um, it was one elderly woman. God, be good for her. She'd be long dead now. But um, And she lived on her own and she didn't. I remember she, all of her family were in England. And um, <laughs> back in the time when they, when they didn't come home very often, they probably yeah. came home once a year. And we used to call to her every Saturday and we'd sit down and we'd have a cup of tea with her. Yeah. And we'd, and I remember cleaning her windows for her yeah. one day. And God, I forgot that. Yes, yeah, so, so kind of... So we're, we're kind of looking for more or less now. Yeah. It, it, it can be any age. Obviously, we do Gareth Bale and, you know, all the yeah. protection bits. gone that bad that we don't call now unless it's an, unless are. it's announced we are yeah. and not alone are we we are being more and more encouraged you know people are gone this whole walk and, and, and can I believe uh, you know that if you say the wrong thing what if I say the wrong thing what if I ask the wrong question and you know be embarrassed and it, it, it's mad that people shouldn't have to be embarrassed people should just be able to call to whoever yeah, uh, not the one. The was passing, but and even if you do get him, and not a, if you do get a frosty fall, so let's say, try it again. You know, yeah, people yeah. might be just taken on the way or something. Oh, that's she coming back? But you know, it, it, it is important social contact, and that has been proven over and over again. It's the most important part of work. It's the most important part of everything we do. Yeah, and I think the befriending service as well, more of particularly for those ones who are still so nervous and, you know, all because of what happened with the uh, COVID. Yeah. I, I think through a befriending service, it might just give them the confidence to start going back out. Absolutely. One of the things I noticed in, in, in Mass in our own church, uh, you know, we, we sitting on one apart and two people that travel together in the same car and then there the church that are sitting each individual. I know, but that was ridiculous. Yeah, 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 it was crazy. Yeah. Back yeah. And the stuff we had to do. But anyway, we we tried to do it and we did it. But, but I think that kind of instilled a sense of fear because, and then we had the communion at the door going out because we had only one aisle in our church. So you couldn't get communion up at the altar, you'd have to get it at the back of the side door, leaving and, and stay going out like you could go back in. So, but once that lifted, the numbers came back up. Once, you know, I think when we were all around SMS, the plastic aprons on us and the gloves and the spring. Here. We shouldn't be here at all. Mm. And I think the more that, you know, the, the restrictions, the more people feel comfortable and say, yeah, it is okay to go into church. 30-40 foot high ceilings in most of them. You know, it's not lurking around you. Um, but I do think, I, I remember meeting a fellow when I was in a pub, believe it or not, and he'd be lively man now, sing a song at the drop of a head, very sociable. But he, he explained to me about you know, going back to the back in the daycare. And he said, you know, I was back, but I don't know. He said, when I go again? That's really what's what the, He described, he got off the bus in the town. He needs to go to the, the bank link. And 
God help him. Yeah, but you know, I had to have a hip replacement last year when I was out of action for about five or six weeks and I couldn't drive and I had a truck and I was afraid I'd fall over it for a while. You know, the usual. And I remember the first time getting out of the car at one side of the street and having to cross over. It's daunting. That was only after weeks. So. I know, I know. And I was able to leg. Yeah, you know, not, I know. It, it, it's amazing the things that, that will confound us. It's quite normal, I suppose, is what I'm saying to people. It's natural to feel apprehensive about two things. Like when we, we were off school for a couple of weeks and go, and the first day you went back, you know, you were kind of... A bit nervous about it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... Yeah, and that's why if you're out and about and you do see somebody lingering on the side of the road, an elderly person, yeah. go fall into conversation and see if they, see if they need a bit of help. All right, listen, um, Maura, a pleasure as always uh, to speak with you. Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, please say hi to Maura. What an outstanding lady. Wouldn't anyone give anything to have her in your area? I've no doubt about it, but she could run the country independently a lot better <laughs> than some of them hanging around inside there at present. A lot of people should take a leaf out of Maura's manual. Every good luck to Maura and that's from Michael in uh, Castletown there. And um, thank you for that, uh, Michael. And Maura, if, if people would like to get involved, particularly the befriending service, they, they can contact you at IRD Do Hollow. Absolutely, okay. IRDDohollow.com okay. will find this or um, they bring in 029 Anybody here will, will give a help. We have a great team. It's not it's not just me, believe it or not. I couldn't do it single-handed at all. I know, all. I have a great team there. Listen, <laughs> we have a fantastic team. Listen, keep in yeah. contact with us on us and if we can be of any further help, uh, Amora, we'd be only delighted to give you publicity Thank on you. it. Pleasure as always. Thanks Thank you for that. Thank you for Thanks for joining us. Amora Walsh of IRD Do Hollow. Alan says, Morning Trish, on the issue of the older generation not going out when COVID hit, there was advertisements all over the radio and on television telling people to stay at home. Remember the dreaded word cocooning was used. Why don't we have a similar campaign to tell the older generation it's okay now to get out and about to meet friends and family? Uh, why don't you at C103 lead the way and start a campaign. There was a campaign, Alan, at one stage run by the HSC and I'm sure we ran the ads uh, as well here and we were talking about it and certainly was on television telling the older people that it was safe uh, to go back out. But I think as Maura said, when people get stuck in a rut, it's just kind of hard to shake it off and to and to get back into going out to what can be a big, beautiful world uh, out there. The uh, Childline Listening Service, operated by the ISPCC, is now recruiting volunteers. It's for its office here in Cork. And to outline who this work might suit, I'm joined by Elizabeth Donlin-Fox, who is ISPCC's Childline, Childline Regional Supervisor. Good morning to you, Elizabeth. Good morning. How are you today? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, I suppose, talk to me a little bit about your current uh, volunteers. Do they come from all walks of life and all age groups? Absolutely. Um, It's fantastic when you walk into the unit in Cork and just the array of personalities, age groups and how so they all learn from each other. We all blend in so well. So there's no, um, they kind of, I suppose, the ethos of our organisation, like every child and young person that contacts us, we've no discrimination, nothing with anyone that applies for us. The only ask would be, I suppose, that they um 
when that they're suitable fit for us and vice versa because it's um we are aware that volunteers are given their gift of time which is fantastic and it sometimes might be oh i don't know if i'm the right fit for the organization and with that said that's how we go through our intensive a training course interview come in for a chat and see are we right fit for each other and what qualities do you think a volunteer for Childline needs um somebody that is warm somebody that has a good listening ear patient open to learning uh friendly um all of this nice, warm qualities that we would like to think of a young person being met with when they reach out to us here in Childline. So great listening skills, um, just being patient, being tolerant, being empathetic um, and a really, really good listener. Well, yeah, that's got, got to be uh, top, uh, top of the list. You mentioned that you provide yeah. uh, training. Um, talk to me about the training and how long does it take? Yeah, so every volunteer in Childline uh, listening is trained for approximately, say, 10 to 12 weeks. And the training goes into kind of, I suppose, two pillars. Pillar one would be all the skills that you will need um, to become a really um efficient volunteer that you're we go around with um, our active listening skills, how open you are. Um, so we kind of go in through all the skill sets of what it takes to be a good volunteer. And then the second part of the training would then focus on the trends and topics that we see that young people are coming through so that you're prepared as a volunteer. I think every volunteer has this expectation in Childline must be it's all the awful calls that we get but we get some lovely calls of trends about bullying or maybe a child not being asked by their friends oh I see all my friends are going out and then I'm not being asked in the group so it's a combination of the skills of how to be listening how to open up the conversation how to work with the young person and then regardless of the topics that they okay, bring we're, we're, to we're, we're just, you have the skill set there we're just handle. breaking up very slightly uh, there um, sorry okay no you, you seem to be back now you, 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 we were just breaking yeah. up there yeah because I, I remember after one Christmas uh, speaking to somebody who had been working on uh, on Childline on the phones because of course you operate 365 days uh, a year um, yeah and some of the calls on Christmas Day, I mean, some of them were heartbreaking. You know, there were children because whose parents were fighting yeah. or whatever. But I remember like yeah. one child rang up. They were disappointed about what Santa Claus had brought and didn't want to say it to their parents. Yeah. You know, it, it, like it yeah. can be as sweet as that. Absolutely. Um, you've just said it. You can come in. We ask volunteers to do a four hour shift 
And within that four hours, you could be talking to someone, as I've just outlined, might be having a row with a friend because the friend didn't share something or didn't ask them out. Then you could be talking to someone. I was talking to someone last week who didn't like her dad because her dad wouldn't give her her, his credit card to go online to do (laughs) shopping online (laughs) to something that may be a little bit more more serious. Some of the more serious topics of maybe somebody with an eating disorder disorder, somebody that might be struggling with their mental health, anxiety, self-harming. So when you put your foot inside the door of the unit and you settle in and get your headset on and open up your desktop, you genuinely don't know what's coming down the track. It's such a variety um, of calls. Yeah. And once qualified, what sort of commitment do you ask for volunteers? What commitments do they need to give? So what we like to look from from someone is four hours per week. And now there can be a little bit of, uh, I suppose we can kind of look at that a little bit, but we do like the four hours. But if someone was able to do three, three hours, three and a half hours, that'd be fantastic. And we'd like to also have the people that volunteer with us on the same shift. So with Cork, Cork is open Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. So if there was somebody that wanted, had a few hours on a Sunday morning that they could come in and they do the shift from 10 till 2 on a Sunday morning and you're building up rapport with your team members. And that's so important, that um, comradeship, that community and that support that you get from fellow volunteers as well. And do and then do volunteers get ongoing support once they take up the role? Absolutely. It's constant. It's one of our exemplary um, factors within working with Childline is that every unit in Ireland has a supervisor that's attached to the unit. So that person is there on hand all the time for them. And in the event that maybe that volunteer was training or an annual leave, there is then their buddy where another supervisor would be on hand for them. And then as well as that, the national, we would have coordinators And we also then would have programmes outside the ISPCC that if there was a subject that did trigger something for a volunteer, that they do have external supports as well. So everything is covered for the volunteer. We're very much kind of centred on our volunteer and that they're well looked after. Well done. Well well done. And Elizabeth, do volunteers talk about what they get back from working in China. Yeah, yeah. for many people, it's just giving back. It's as simple as that, that they want to give back um, to society in some shape or form. Um, And for others, it's um, just joy. You know, they might just engage with someone like you just mentioned the little person that wasn't happy with what Santa Claus gave them and just to be that listening ear and just to have that it is such a gift to give up your gift of time we're also time deprived when you ask so many people uh, I wish I had more time and we've these people that are actually giving time to children that sometimes that they don't have so it's 
there's so many answers to that question and volunteers would definitely say it's their contribution to society, to an individual, not breaking it down into an individual and just being in a position to support someone. And they would be the three big, big things that yeah. they'd like. And then as well, the add on is the community of volunteers that the ISPC has nationally as well. You end up making very good friends and friends uh, for life. I've yet to yeah. meet, I think, mm. anyone who has volunteered, be it with Thailand or any organisation, who ever regrets uh, volunteering. And I'm always saying it mm-hmm. to people if they move, in new, you know, they move into a new area, for example, and, you know, they're trying to make new friends. One of the best things you can do is to volunteer, get involved in some local organisation or something like Thailand. And it's amazing the amount of really good friends that you'll make out of it as well. And uh, Elizabeth, finally, Thailand. As busy as ever. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, it, again, the diversity, we're um, definitely getting up to maybe minimum 300, up to maybe 500 contacts a day. Um, so that's why it's so important. Like from, you think of it from a pers- from a little person's point of view, or a young person, that they have this device in their pocket. We all give out about them, but they all have them. And um just the service is there 24 hours um, that they, little person or young person can contact us if they're walking home and they know they're going to get into trouble with mom or dad because they've overstayed their welcome in someone's house. But they have us have us on the phone line to chat to, to get them home safe. Um, again, we've just touched on so many topics, social media is out there, friend, the friends groups and Snapchat or WhatsApp and they're not inviting me to these things and so it's we're busy. We're really, really busy. Um, yeah, which is great. And we can only do that when we've got our volunteers there to support and listen because we do pride ourselves in trying not to have too many children waiting in line that we're accessible at all times. And it's a 24 hour, seven days uh, a week, 365 days a year, yeah. 1-800-666-666. And uh, more importantly today, if people, if anyone listening uh, would be interested in getting more information or if you think you have what it takes to become a Childline uh, volunteer, they can email. Is that the best way, Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah. It's volunteer recruitment at ISPCC. So that's the best way to get in contact with us um, today. Yeah. And that's .ie, isn't it? You're not .com, you're it dot, is, dot yes. Volunteer yeah. recruitment at ispcc.ie. Listen, Elizabeth, thank you for that. Continue good luck. You do fantastic work at uh, Chiland and well done to all of the volunteers uh, who work uh, so hard. And as you say, give up their time. It's the greatest thing you can do is to give up the gift yeah. of time. Listen, thank you for talking to us. Um, uh, thank good, you so much. Good Patrice. morning to you. Bye bye. That is Elizabeth Donlan Fox, Regional Supervisor with the ISPCC uh, Chiland and here in Cork they are looking for new volunteers if you have what it takes just if you'd like to find out a little bit more about it uh, why don't you send an email volunteer recruitment at ispcc.ie 0818 our phone lines are open let me stay on a topic of uh, children for a sec because there was a call in from Miriam in Bandon to say that there's a lovely new playground in Bandon and Miriam says everybody supported it everybody subscribed to it money was raised uh, for it and it's just wonderful absolutely fantastic to have this playground 
playground in uh, in Bandon. It's used quite uh, a bit. But she said an issue that she would like to raise and she's wondering do other parents feel the same. She's worried about the gate at the playground. She said children can actually open the gate and they can easily then run onto the bank where the flowers are growing. But this then gives the children easy access to the river. And she said children from the area of the playground can also get out onto the car park. She feels that that gate needs to be looked at for safety uh, reasons. She said, look, and she's not knocking it. It's a wonderful facility. Everybody locally uses it. But she she herself has a personal view about the gate. And yeah, and I've been in playgrounds for children. Usually they're very difficult to open deliberately so that children can't easily open it. Have other parents uh, noticed that? The new playground in Bandon, the gate doesn't need to be looked at to make it more difficult for children when they're in the playground because obviously we want to keep everybody safe. All this week we are teaming up with the Maldron Hotel to give away a daily prize of an overnight stay for two people in the Maldron Hotel. Now the Maldron is located right in the heart of Cork City Centre so it does make it a perfect place for a break in the Rebel County. Now as it's an overnight stay for two uh, people we are looking at famous duos for you to identify. I will give you one half of the duo and you have to identify the other half. We need you to text in your answer to our WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. The answer along with your name and address please as well because there was a number of people yesterday sent the answer in and there was no name and address on it so you must put your name and address on it as well. Okay so today's famous duo uh, they are would you call them cartoon characters? It's Bert and Beep Beep who is the end of that duo, Bert? And who's the second half of that very, very famous uh, duo? If you know the answer, start texting or WhatsApping now. 086 to 103 103. We give it about 10 minutes and then we will make a draw from all of the correct answers. And uh, somebody will be planning an overnight stay for two people, bed and breakfast at the gorgeous Maldron Hotel. Get texting if you know the answer, Bert and... Second half of that duo, uh, please. Phone lines are also open at 0818103103. And while we are awaiting our entries and go to select our winner, let me take a look at some of your texts and uh, commentary coming into the programme. Somebody got their electricity bill uh, this morning, €145 uh, with the €25 PSO rebate. So €120 for two months. That's got to be one of the lowest electricity bills I've heard of in quite some time because I saw somebody put up on Twitter at the weekend and I actually went in to check on the Twitter feed to see was it a business and it wasn't. It was a householder. Uh, She got an electricity bill of 16... Hundred euro, one thousand six hundred, which she said left her shaken and in tears. And then, of course, people were asking, "How in God's name did you run up an electricity bill of sixteen hundred over a two-month period living in a house?" And it turns out she had been getting estimate bills for quite some time, and it had been underestimated, and it was finally read. And then, of course, we know how much electricity prices have gone up so she got landed with a whopper of a bill. So 145, 25 off, 120 for the uh, two months. You're doing well with your electricity use. You're obviously clearly monitoring it and being very, very frugal in its use. So well done you. Uh, Also in by uh, text, oh this is when I mentioned about what the government are up to at the moment and it's today the government are meeting and it's the what's called the Summer Economic Statement 
And what it does is it sets out the parameters for the October budget. So the government decide how much do they have to spend? How much are they likely to spend? What way are they going to spend it? How are they going to divide it up? We know the exchequer is awash with money. There's a lot of money coming in. There's a lot coming in through general taxation, but there's also a lot coming in from uh, corporate uh, taxes. So it looks like that they're going to go down the same formula and repeat the formula from last year's budget where there will be a significant package of one-off spending uh, measures, bonus payments, uh, etc., like what they did uh, last year. Well, that's not that's not making everyone very happy. Somebody says, hi, Patricia, enough is enough now with the budget. Please tell them to see after the working people. Give more tax breaks. Give fuel reductions. No more bonus child benefits and no more free GP cards. They'll probably move it now to under eights. It's sickening and it's very frustrating. This is from somebody who obviously gets up and goes to work very early in the morning. Now, we know we know from listening to was a Pascal Donoghue has hinted that, uh, well, he's the one that hinted that the packages will be similar uh, to last year. But he in particular was talking about the tax six system and what they did last year where they moved towards indexation. And that ensures that people receives, receive more in their pay packet. For example, if they get a pay rise, they don't lose the value by moving into a higher tax bracket. So that's, it looks like that's what they're going to do. They'll do, you know, adjustments on the bands and the thresholds and that helps everybody uh, to pay less uh, tax. But it doesn't look like it's going to be as generous as, say, what some of the Fina Gael uh, junior ministers wanted. Remember the three of them went and did an opinion piece on one of the papers and they were looking for a thousand euro, wasn't They were looking in, in tax uh, breaks uh, for every PAYE worker it doesn't look like it's going to be as generous uh, as that but somebody not happy with the fact that the money is going to be given out to people on social welfare or people with pensioners or people with children somebody says it should be given to workers instead 0818103103 your thoughts welcomed Martin says Hi Patricia I didn't hear your interview with Dr Fiona Kelly from the Bear Peninsula but I did catch some of the opinions on the rebound of her interview. Really desperate times are called for desperate measures. They say money is not the issue to attract a doctor to come to an isolated rural issue but Martin says money is the issue. Increased salaries will attract any doctor. Other countries are way more isolated than Ireland and they don't seem to have a problem getting doctors to work in rural areas. Also Martin feels the local chemist should be trained up to unburden the load of the local doctors. Well the pharmacies themselves will tell you how many interviews have I done with the Irish Pharmacy Union and with various pharmacists who are all saying they are desperate to help out the local uh, GPs but you know legislation would need to change for the chemists to be able to do more work work that they're already trained uh, to do so it isn't as easy as saying that the chemist shops pick up the that the pharmacists pick up the flack they're already doing uh, an amount of work and just when you say that money isn't uh, isn't um, Money is the issue, you reckon, that they need to be given an increased salary to attract new doctors. There's a big campaign at the moment from the HSE and the Department of Health. They're going overseas to try to attract some of our Irish trained doctors who've left these shores and gone overseas. And and I know I mentioned this, I think I mentioned it last week. I heard some uh, doctors in Australia were being interviewed about would they come back? And they were saying that the package that was on offer from a financial point of view 
very generous and they said yeah it was it was a good package but they were saying their work-life balance they know that when they come back to Ireland the pressure they're going to be under I mean even listening to and I know Martin you say you missed the interview but listening to Dr Fiona this morning all the tea in China wouldn't pay Fiona for the work and the commitment that she has to give because she is a solo doctor in a rural area. So I don't think it's as easy as saying, oh, we'll just throw more money at them. They need to have more supports uh, in place. When the likes of Dr Fiona wants to go on holidays, it's up to the HSE to find the locum. It isn't up to her to scramble as she did for months before her holidays and then to go away knowing the whole time that the last day of her holiday, she wasn't going to have a locum and hoping and praying that a locum would become available. But unfortunately, it didn't. And it sort of ruined her holiday for her. So I don't think it's as simple as saying we'll just give them more money and that will attract the doctors back. Doctors and certainly younger doctors want a much better work-life balance and younger doctors won't put up with what a lot of older doctors have been putting up with uh, to date. 0818103103 Thank you for your text uh, Martin. And Mike in Bantry was listening to uh, Maura Walsh from IRD Dohalo, uh, you know, talking about older people and worried that there are older people in her own community in Dohalo, but I sort of moved it out and said they're probably all over the country but obviously Maura is seeing them at first hand in Dohalo and these are people who have not left their homes uh, because of COVID and she's fearful that some of them may never leave their homes again which is really, really sad and we're trying to encourage older people to say it is safe to come back out there and to try to get them back involved and back in whatever social life they had uh, previously. Uh, Mike uh, said, uh, listen to you on the radio this morning, uh, Patricia, and to that lovely lady from Dohalo, that's Maura, talking about elderly people. Can I send a message out to elderly people? Please don't stop living and don't stop living just because you are older in age. Uh, Maura is brilliant, by the way, says Mike in Bantry. We need more at uh, Maura's. Thank you for that. 0818103103. Our 10 minutes are nearly up. OK, I'll tell you what, we'll do Community Diary and then we'll announce our winner for today. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Marymount Pop-Up Shop is open from 10am to 8pm every day this week. It's in Kilbritton Parish Hall. All of the proceeds from this pop-up shop are going to the wonderful uh, Marymount uh, Hospice. The John Arrell Court Collection by Kira Buckley will be on exhibition in the drawing room in uh, Donnerale every day this week from 10am to 4pm. It's up to and including this Friday, the 7th of July. Remember, you can avail a free entry to Donnerale Court along with a number of other OPW sites on the first Wednesday of every month. And of course, tomorrow is the first Wednesday of uh, July. So it'll be free entry tomorrow. The, the Ballyhara Kyoltas Aaron Trad Music and Dance is on at tonight. Doors open at 7 and admission there is €12. Euro. Shambhalimore Bingo is on tonight in Shambhalimore Community Centre. They've got a jackpot of €1,950. Euro. That's in 45 calls or less. All are uh, welcome. And a kids treasure hunt and DJ Denny Disco uh, will be held as part of the Kidalary Hill Fest and that's on tomorrow night 
Tonight, Wednesday, with entry five euro. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You can stop texting us on our Maldron Hotel uh, competition. Uh, it's an overnight stay for two people. So the fact it's two people going away for overnight B and B, we are talking about famous duos for you to identify. Today's duo is Bert and uh, Trisha McGill is in Silver Springs. Uh, Trisha, it's Bert and Ernie. Well, congratulations to you. Thank you you. So much. you have just won the prize. Now, That's who, brilliant. have you, you have you any idea who you'd like to bring with you to the Maldron Hotel? I'll have to bring my my new fiance. Thank. Now, I'm put out if I don't. And I'm seeing on your your text, you're still getting used to saying the word "my new yeah, fiance." We, yeah, we're actually together 19 years. We were just recently engaged, so it's very very surreal to say that after all these years. He <laughs> <laughs> wanted he wanted to make sure he was sure. I was who I'm just trying to find out who waited. Was it he waited the 19 years to propose? Well, he waited 19 years to propose. Yeah. And you've be- and you've got four beautiful children. We do. We have four kids. We have raging eighteen, and then we have eighteen year old, fifteen year old, thirteen, and a two year old. Because you have a busy household. We where, do indeed. So where do, lovely. Where did the engagement take place? Uh, down tomorrow on the beach. Yeah, so it was a lovely. And we had all the kids with us and everything. It was a really nice phrase. It was actually June weekend, so the weather was gorgeous. So, so you you knew nothing about it. No, nothing, no, they all knew all the kids and everything and we family down with us and no, it didn't have a notion. We were just going over to take some photographs after dinner and I was actually taking off a little one's shoes and I turned around and he was on one knee. So oh, it was great. Cool. Yeah, it was very cute. Uh, uh, um, what's, what's fiance's first name? Uh, Philip. Philip. That's it, yeah. What a romantic man is our Philip. I know, I didn't know he had a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a kind of your thank you back to Philip. That's it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'll be lovely enough to get away. Well, it will be great. Listen, have a lovely night in the Maldron and uh, congratulations on your engagement. Have you set, thank a, you so have much. You set a date? No, not yet. Not yet. No, no, that's still in the works. Thank you okay. very much. All right, well, don't wait 19 years, okay? I know, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Congratulations to you. Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. What a lovely story. That is Trisha McGill in Silver Springs correctly identifying Bert and Ernie as our famous uh, duo today and winning our overnight stay in the Maldron Hotel. We will have another famous couple for you to identify uh, tomorrow. 0818103103. You can stop texting us on uh, that. Now, Everything going up in the supermarkets and, and, and everybody's feeling the pinch and all of that. So it's great to see when some items are starting to come down in the supermarkets. And of course, the latest this week is a further cut in the price of a litre of milk. But the big question mark now that's been asked is, with the supermarkets cutting the price of the litre, who was actually paying for that reduction? And milk producers are saying that a supermarket price war is actually going to threaten the livelihood of dairy farmers. And I think as consumers, none of us would like to think that that's what is going to happen. Now, Little were the first of the supermarket chains to announce a reduction. And of course, as what happens and has happened with all of these price reductions, once one supermarket jumps in and says, we're making a, a reduction, they announced a drop of the, their two litre carton or their own brand milk was going to go from 2.19 down to 2.09. So 
10 cents on the two litres. So five cent uh, a litre drop. As soon as they did it, Aldi jumped in saying they were going to do the same thing. Then we had Super Value and uh, Tesco all cutting the price of their two litre carton of their own brand milk. So now all of the supermarkets, uh, 2.19 down to 2.09. But dairy farmers and the head of one particular uh, group, the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers, uh, Pat McCormick, he said he's very disappointed that the supermarkets are using such an important product to lure customers in. He said the industry has already seen 500 farmers leave the dairy industry and that's just in the past few years and many got out of the business because they, the costs were literally just squeezing them out. So the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association their fears now is that more family dairy farms will simply fold as the price they are being paid collapses even though their input costs have uh, spiralled. He said obviously as an organisation, um, they realise that supermarkets are recognising that milk is in the vast majority of households and it's kind of a daily requirement. But their fear is it's been used here to increase or maintain footfall. The supermarkets are trying to get more retailers, more people, more, the retailers are trying to get more people into their premises because they are under pressure. But he says retailers aren't the only ones under pressure. He said the farm family and the farm family model is in Ireland is coming under huge pressure. He said they've seen significant price cuts. We've seen costs maintained at a high level. The farm gate price is between 37 and 38 cents a litre. And he said that isn't covering the cost of production at this point in time. The amount is down substantially. Take, for example, last year, the price the farm gate price that farmers were getting were 50, was 52 cent a litre. So that's nearly 30% of a drop. And the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association are saying, who's funding the price cut? Pat McCarthy said it is beyond doubt that it's going to be passed back on to the primary producer. He said the milk processor will take their margin. And ultimately, he said the farmer then is left to take whatever price is left to him or to her. And he's warned the sustainability of the whole sector environmentally and commercially, he said, would not survive if farmers are not paid enough. He said the price war means that some farmers will fold, he said, without a doubt. And many farmers are now so squeezed, they're actually unable to pay back bank loans because their costs have spiralled year on year. I mean, if you think about it, input costs for farmers, the two biggest, obviously, are fertiliser and diesel. And we know that both fertiliser and diesel has rocketed over the past two years. It's gone up by almost uh, 25%. Then also for dairy farmers, think about their high electricity prices. They have to run milking sheds and there's huge energy used to run those milking sheds. Then they also have to run all of the refrigeration units to keep the milk chilled and fresh. So the farmers are being squeezed on all sides and the industry has already seen about 500 farmers leave the sector over the past few years. So Pat McCarthy is warning people will leave the industry without a doubt and you worry them if we don't have our wonderful dairy farmers producing this wonderful milk that we drink uh, every day. We know what happens 
importance then if they get squeezed out milk is going to have to get import, imported from other countries will it be of the same quality that we expect of our, our milk and then ultimately if we squeeze out all of the small farmers are we back then to the supermarkets can set any price uh, they like so farmers are uh, worried and as I say you know householders will be thrilled to hear anything that's coming down in price because you know so many families in particular are really finding it difficult with the cost of living and we all want to see prices coming down but is it the retailers themselves that should be taking the hit by taking something out of their profits rather than forcing it on to the farmers and the small farmers are the ones I would really worry worry about they really are being squeezed at the moment You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast Phone and text lines are currently closed Joe Heffernan uh, joining me this Tuesday afternoon Good afternoon to you Joe Good afternoon, Patricia. And we have an interesting topic to discuss uh, today. Um, and this is a word, uh, it's it's psychopharmacology. Yeah, um, apparently um, uh, a very reputable uh, Trinity College Dublin, TCD, and St. Patrick's Mental Health Service um, are trialling a new treatment option for people who ex- are experiencing severe depression. Led by Dr. Uh, sorry, uh, Professor Declan McLaughlin, research professor of psychiatry at TCD and consultant psychiatrist at um, St. Pat's, uh, the team will investigate, if you don't mind, the role of ketamine in improving outcomes for people receiving inpatient treatment for depression. Now, no. this obviously, and obviously we're not advocating anyone to rush out and start taking no, ketamine. Not. This is under strict medical supervision. And I assume this is for people where the traditional antidepressants are just not working. Absolutely. Yeah. And where there is absolutely debilitating severe depression. Okay. Um, now, I read about a year ago where there were now um, ketamine infusion clinics in USA, but um, uh, the the word here, like, is trial. Um, there are trials going on um, to do with this. Now, I suppose there was a time when penicillin was on trial, mm-hmm. and uh, and it turned out to be uh, so extremely beneficial. So there's, I mean, um, uh Trials, I suppose, well, we definitely trials are very, very important. But some types of psychedelic drugs, which um, I think you would get arrested for having on your person, I, I'm not sure, um, some longish time ago. Um, one of them is called, um, uh, if I pronounce it correctly, uh, psilocybin, which basically is magic mushrooms. Okay. And MDMA, which is ecstasy, um, are now being trialled as, as you say, under all really, really um, stringent medical supervision for treatment-resistant depression and indeed post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and uh, it's showing promise. Yeah, um, they appear, um, now, um, uh, the next thing that I'm going to say now, I don't um, fully understand it, but I'll read it out. 
they appear to work by encouraging the growth of new connections between neurons in the brain. Okay. Now, I suppose that's fairly plain English, all right, but that's what they do. Um, and they're being tested as therapies um, for, as we say, treatment-resistant um, uh, depression. Um, and, um, you know, when these trials are, are, if the word ever is completed, um, uh, the... This whole experimental area of um, uh, psychopharmacology uh, could lead to um, related um, uh, supervised uh, drugs that encourage new brain cell connections while avoiding the hallucinogenic yeah, because that was the one thing when, when I knew you were going to be discussing this, I was saying, God, just discussing, you know, um, psychedelic drugs I mean the one thing you think of with psychedelic drugs and magic mushrooms uh, for example anything I've ever read about people who tried them or got hooked on them they talk about these desperate hallucinations and you'd be thinking it always struck me why would you take something that could possibly cause you to hallucinate but obviously uh, people do but what they're working on here avoids all those hallucinations. Well, this is the thing. Um, the, big, the big thing would be um, avoiding the hallu- hallucinogenic um, Aspect effect. of it, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, a little, um, it's a little bit like the um, medicinal cannabis. They, yeah. you know, they're, I mean, and there's been fantastic inroads made on the medicinal uh, cannabis. And again, when that first started, people thought, what are we talking about here? Everyone's going to be going around high. But the part that makes you high is taken out of it. Right. So it's, the, it's, it's what they can the do. TCH, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's what the scientists can do to make these drugs safe and if there's a positive benefit. Because like a very bad depression, Joe, can be hugely debilitating. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, depression apparently is the most common reason in the European Union for long-term sick leave and disability. Um, uh, According to the World Health Organization, it's the leading cause of disability worldwide. Now, that's a fact that a lot of people would not be familiar with. Um, And uh, Professor McLaughlin then says, it's therefore a public health priority to not only recognize and treat depression, but to do so in a more time-effective manner than traditional antidepressants have achieved to date. So the, the, the two big words here would be trial and um, investigative and experimental. So, I mean, uh, no one would be suggesting um, that any of these treatments would be uh, allowed into the uh, health public domain without being extremely um, carefully uh, monitored and trialed. But um, uh, the reason I thought it would be interesting, Patricia, to talk about it today is just because of that. It's so interesting. Um, You know, the article by um, Julia Maloney uh, on last week's um, Sunday Independent, um, I thought, wow, um, uh, you know, it caught my eye and I thought, God, I must read that. Um, uh, yeah, but as you say, because 
depression is and it's it's on the increase and I think because I mean we're really talking about the pandemic and the effect that the pandemic has had on older people when I was speaking with uh, Maura from IRD Duhalo you know and she was talking about there are some vulnerable older people and it doesn't even have to be older people but but but, but in the main it's, it's affecting in the Duhalo area older people who she's fearful will never leave their home again because of they got so fearful because of the pandemic and then they got into a rush and she mentioned mental health and she mentioned depression, how people can go into a depressive episode without even realising it. Absolutely. And um, I read somewhere the other day, um, quite a few conditions seem to be promoted up to the most um, debilitating um, uh, illnesses or conditions. And um, I was reading another article, and we spoke about it before, where loneliness has um, kind of uh, got to the top of that um, uh, list as well. Um, uh, so that, uh, I mean, the two would be greatly combined, of course. Um, but uh, uh, this new um, uh, trialling, and I mean, that's the big word here. These are trials and mm. may never, may, may never, but I, I would imagine there will be, may never be um, uh, ratified by the medical uh, people doing the uh, the trialling. But then um, I think, am I right that in America it's the FDA? Yes, the FDA, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, they obviously have... Um, have given their imprimatur to the ketamine because um, I only looked it up this morning um, that, um, you know, there are mm, addresses and uh, telephone numbers for these ketamine um, uh, infusion clinics. Now, ketamine in, 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 my, in my head would have been um, a tranquilizing drug for horses. Yeah, we've, and, uh, we've always, when ketamine came on as an illegal drug, that's what people think, this means that's a horse tranquilizer. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a type of ketamine that's used in the illegal drugs world. And obviously it's a part of the ketamine that is, is what the scientists and the experts are studying. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and what needs to be avoided then at all costs with these kind of experiments would be uh, the hallucinogenic effect. In other words, we used to hear back along in the 60s especially about people having, do you remember the term, bad trips? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody wants to know when you go on an antidepressant, does that mean you're on it for life? I don't think it does necessarily. It can be. I mean, I've spoken with people who have been an hour on an antidepressant. And, um, you know, after a certain amount of time, people have experimented with coming off the antidepressant. Other people would need to be on the antidepressant for very long amounts of time. And, of course, if they're helping, well, then... Um, you know, uh, all um, all alleviating um, uh, treatments would be most welcome because, um, as we've been saying there, I mean, depression is so debilitating and uh, and so widespread. But um, that, of course, uh, as we would always say, would be a question for the GP and possibly the psychiatrist that, um, 
you know, if a person... And it's important, I think, to say that um, there are so many different um, antidepressants that if one is put on an antidepressant and if it doesn't suit, that does not mean, and I stress it does not mean, that antidepressants generally do not suit me. It can be that particular one does not suit me. Um, I've known of people um, who have been on one particular antidepressant and could not tolerate it at all, and then have um, gone back to their doctor and have been put on a different antidepressant, and it worked brilliantly. Mm. So the trouble sometimes is that a person is is, uh, prescribed an antibiotic, and if that particular one doesn't suit them, they tend to write off the whole lot of them. Uh, with a kind of a, a blanket statement like they don't suit me. Yeah, they, but, uh, they didn't yeah. work for me, but there's a, there's a huge array of Absolutely. them um, on the market. And you've seen great success with them through your own line of work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember one person many, many, many years ago, way back, and um, they had their face turned against uh, antidepressants at all costs. You know, statements like, I would never take an antidepressant, but life, <coughs> excuse me, life became very, very, very difficult to the point almost of being impossible. And the person said, okay, I'm going back to the GP and I'm going to have a discussion. And if the if the GP still says an antidepressant is the way to go, then I will do it. Now, that person came back to me um, quite a long while later, and said, "You know, that was the best move I ever made." Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I'm, there, I'm feeling there, fine. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know if it's still there. Is there almost a stigma attached to it? I'm on an I antidepressant kind of thing. Yeah, I I think that happens. That um, yeah. you know, um, I mean, if I have a cold uh, or whatever, or a pain in my toe, and I take um, paracetamol. I'm not the least bit ashamed to say to my friends, um, I'm taking paracetamol, it's keeping the temperature down and uh, it's helping with the pain. But uh, the same attitude might not um, be there for I'm on an antidepressant. And, it, and, and it's a pity because so many people are on antidepressants because of the increase in depression. Absolutely, yeah, without we, a maybe that's, doubt. Yeah, that's something as society we need to talk about more. We do, we do. Um, and um, especially with the uh, with the coverage um, uh, from the medical profession, that um, the depression is um, is uh, the emphasis on it now, and the fact that it is so widespread. And I suppose, Patricia, when we think of the world that we are living in now, um, you know, we'll say whatever about the um, neurons in the brain and, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, depression that would be caused uh, in in that way. Uh, there also is what's called reactive depression, and that would be the, um, uh, the resultant um, uh, thoughts and feelings coming from an event in one's life, or, I suppose, nowadays... Um, uh, from the whole world uh, scene. Mm. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough old world now to live in. And um, I, I, as I often say, I, I especially feel 
um, great sympathy for younger people who are, you know, we hear these kind of um, fancy kind of terms like Generation Z and all that and uh, millennials. But um, when people are being told and um, in their own experience can verify that the chances of them owning their own house or getting a decently paid job um, are uh, kind of, uh, you know... um, not readily available, well, that's depressing. And um, It's hard. It's really yeah. hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Okay. We will leave it there, uh, Joe. Have a lovely week and we will chat to you again next uh, Tuesday. Absolutely. A very interesting subject, uh, Patricia, and perhaps in the years to come, it won't be so Yeah, it'll unusual. be commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Have a lovely week. Uh, that's Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Boherbury. His number is 086-834-8145. 086-834-8145. Just a couple of texts uh, coming in uh, to us. Um, the price of milk, when I mentioned about the farmer's and in particular, uh, the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association are worried with the supermarkets announcing a uh, five centilitre reduction, a further five centilitre reduction in milk. And they are fearful that that will be passed on to the dairy farmer at the farm gate. And they feel it is unfair. John and Carrie Galline says, Patricia, here we go again. Farmers are back whining about the price of uh, milk. While Anthony says, Patricia, I don't understand why the big supermarkets always hit the milk price in this country without any defence from government. The 10 cents that are going to take off the two litres of milk will not make a huge difference to any family come the end of the week, but it will make a huge difference to milk production, leading to more expensive importation that will hit families long term. Why don't the supermarkets, for example, reduce the price of washing powder? That would make a big difference to families, so says Anthony. And Bill in Clonakilty, when I was talking about the upcoming budget and the summary economic statement with so much talk about workers and tax. We've been hearing from politicians for quite some time that they're going to look after the workers that get up early in the morning. We've heard Leo Varadkar say it for many, many years. Um, say, but obviously, but but the most obvious thing, says Bill in Clonakilty, is to help to help workers is to remove the USE charge. Bill would love to know people's views. Would they be in favour while the government is awash with money? Should they remove the universal social charge? That Bill, I'll remind you, was introduced as a temporary measure during tougher times in this country and so many people said at the time when it was introduced, mark their words, it remain in place and it has. Anyway, Bill wants to know how do listeners feel uh, if you could have a word in the ear of the government as they decide on the parameters for next October's budget. Would you like to see a complete abolition of the USC uh, charge and actually Bill has asked us if we would do an Instagram poll on it it's too late to do it today but Bill uh, thank you for the suggestion we'll do it tomorrow so so I've got to leave you for today thanks to John Paul for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie